You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. And one, ladies and gentlemen, we are on episode number 13 of the Art of Move podcast. We have some cool upcoming guests next week and later on in December next week, next Tuesday, we're going to be talking to Lucas Aaron, who is range of strength on Instagram. He's a flexibility coach. He has programs like squats and splits. So he has very specific strength training with flexibility protocols. We're going to talk to him about, uh, you know, what, what, role flexibility and, and strength in flexibility has in functional movement and some of his movement philosophies and see how we can integrate it with uh, some of the other things that we've talked about. And in this episode, what I'd like to kind of cover with Will today, um, you know, I'm Anthony Manuel and Dr. William Raybar. We're both out here in the Canadian Rockies. Every episode we try to uh, bring together a bunch of really good ideas to try and find that grand unified theory of how human beings are supposed to move, train, and be in their own body so that we can exist pain-free and optimally. And so we can move well. How is the human body meant to move? And based on that, how are we meant to train? How are we meant to kind of live physically? So that's kind of what we're doing today. Um, we're going to be exploring the idea of tissue adaptation in specific contexts of proper biomechanical patterns. This episode was almost inspired. Well, it was inspired a little bit. We had a, a conversation with... Uh, Keegan from ATG a little bit. We had some technical issues and we had to reschedule. And one of the main points of conversation that Keegan and Will and I were kind of talking about was this idea of prioritizing tissue adaptation versus prioritizing good biomechanical patterns. And we're going to explore this idea that your biomechanical patterns should be the first order priority over pretty much anything else. Uh, and it was also kind of inspired by this tweet that I saw this morning by Kyle Goodell. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name there, but it's uh, underscore K Goda. Um, stronger does not equal better unless you're talking about inside ankle bone high and back chain dominant integrity. So, you know, for, for people who are just joining the podcast for the first time, uh, inside ankle bone high is kind of this position of your ankle so, uh, that, that promotes good foot biomechanics and prevents you know, like improper bone alignment for when you're walking and will basically reduce the rate of injury. That's sort of the, like, you know, 12 second version of something that we spent over three podcast episodes lasting almost two hours each explaining. And then back chain and uh, dominant integrity. Back chain dominant is just like if your ribs are slightly ahead of your hips and then your your whole posterior chain from, you know, the top of your head to the bottom of your ankles, you're more dominant in your back chain driving you forward, right? So um, this is a very, obviously, I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a Gota coach talking about how stronger is not always better. Gota talks a lot about how you shouldn't strength train, you shouldn't lift, uh, well, you shouldn't strength train in the, in the conventional way where you shouldn't be doing presses, you shouldn't be lifting stuff off the ground, you shouldn't be doing heels down training as in like heavy squats and things because it sort of neurologically predisposes you to unfavorable positions in your gait cycle and it will 
depattern you. It will make you have poor biomechanical patterns, which cause injury in the long term, right? So stronger does not equal better unless you're talking about inside ankle bone, high and back chain dominant integrity. We're going to talk about that, talk about whether or not that's completely, totally true, if it's universally true. And we're going to even talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to break into, because we've had so many conversations just purely about the biomechanical side. Um, I'm a gym rat you know, first and foremost, that's why I got into this stuff in the first place. I'm a personal trainer. I loved lifting weights. I loved getting more athletic and aesthetic. So I wanted to start talking a little bit about, uh, you know, re while respecting these natural laws and these biomechanical consistencies within human, like uh, within the human body, how can we start thinking about training that to be more athletic, to be more in integrity with not only the biomechanical patterns, but also put on some muscle, uh, have that sort of aesthetic look that is associated with higher social status and you know is there a role in isolation in tissue adaptation so right off the get-go well like when you read stronger does not equal better unless you're talking about inside ankle bone high and back chain dominant integrity what's the first thing that comes to mind for you um most people won't agree with that just because the and there's not a consensus amongst uh you know the strength and conditioning field that that's what you're supposed to do in the first place right mm -hmm. so that sounds more of a provocative tweet than anything um do i think it's true personally yes right like uh i do want that inside ankle bone high uh cue at least at least we can agree on the cueing of inside ankle bone high whether mm -hmm. that the person achieves it or not that's a different story do i want to be back chain dominant when i'm moving forward in space absolutely i do right so I agree with that tweet. Um, however, it's open to interpretation and open to debate, right? Yeah, and I mean, like the context is obviously important. You're not going to tell someone that, like, who is a a competitive Olympic weightlifter, that you know, stronger isn't better unless you're back chain dominance and inside ankle bone high, right? Like, it's it's. But I think specific to, like you said, it's more of a provocative tweet. Obviously, it's 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 very provocative. It's sort of saying that, like my interpretation of that assertion is that hey you know your your emphasis on muscular development on strength development on you know core training on all these things that are kind of these mainstream first order priorities with people's goals I, it's like the subtext of that I'm, I'm seeing is that people's goals are misguided and that people should be focusing more on these structural uh the structural integrity of, of how of what promotes good biomechanics right so that inside ankle bone high and back chain dominant integrity it's, it's you know i think you can train inside ankle bone high because i have been you know like i've been doing slant board work and driving into my feet more and actively thinking about it and conditioning my feet so that my inside ankle bone stays high and it's funny i switched to um some zero drop minimalist shoes recently and just kind of like did a postural analysis and looked at my ankles and just switching from the from uh from a, a set of vans to a set of barefoot feet or like minimalist shoes um my inside ankle bone drops significantly more without that extra supportive footwear right so it's been it's been really interesting to see it's like okay so like these are things that you do have to you do have to train and you have to practice and you have to dial in if you want it to be a part of your just your default structure um and in that sense, it's like if you, and, and you know, I, I, I showed you some slow motion video of me sprinting. And when I start sprinting at full speed, uh, my ankle will collapse or my foot will pronate to, to get that extra push 
um, which doesn't happen when I'm jogging or when I'm running. I think it's I, I start to lose it after uh, seven miles per hour or whatever whatever it happens to be. But like I, I start to lose it after you know a, a fast paced jog and I start breaking out into a sprint. I'll lose that inside ankle bone high integrity, right? So um, there is there is a place to because because these are and and again like if you if you're not familiar with the language that we're using in this episode, the last twelve episodes that we did were all about what these principles mean and what the actual proper structure and patterns that you should be uh, following to have good gait patterns specifically. And, you know, the, one of the things, one of the cornerstones of what we're talking about is the idea that the, the biomechanical function of the human body is to stand, walk, run, and throw with walking and running being like the first order of priority, right? That's, uh, you know, I, I, like uh, a guy like Naudi Aguilar from Functional Patterns would also say that that's like the, you know, it's his Functional Patterns core four. Um, a, a system like Goda would say that your gait above anything else is important to the point where it's like, don't do conventional weightlifting at all. Um, I know some of the athletic development, they'll still train pushing movements, they still do bench presses and push-ups and pull-ups and different things. And a lot of go-to guys are really fond of these uh, these sort of calisthenic pushing and pulling movements, even though they don't necessarily jive with some of these these rotary models or this or the spiral dynamics of joints, which I find interesting. I'd still I'd love to talk about Gary and Ricky about that specifically, because I don't know how you know, if you're looking at the the spiral mechanics of a joint and you're not training, you're training your lower body that way and you're looking at this pivot system of the lower body, but you're not looking at that at the upper body at all. I don't know why you would necessarily make that distinction. So, Yeah, um, so it really comes down to, is biomechanics the most important thing? What is more mm. important? Is it tissue adaptation? Is it how you're moving in space, biomechanics? Uh, with regards to walking and running, that's what I believe, right? That's my northern star. Um, I want to get myself better at that as a baseline and always work towards that. Even when I'm 80, I figure that's going to be my baseline, right? Then I can move into more complex motions from there. But no matter what, even an office worker is taking around 10,000 steps a day. So to me, it's obviously the priority. Um, now, someone could debate that, no, it's actually tissue. Your tissues are weak and that's what's, you know, injuring you or making you age. So um, it's not so much you're moving incorrectly. It's that your tissues aren't strong enough. I think an ATG system would say something like this, right? Or um, somewhat functional range conditioning would also say that, but more on like the uh, joint end of it, that your joints aren't moving the way that they're designed to move, okay? But neither of them to me go into more complex biomechanics in terms of walking and running okay and mm. for the longest time I, there was the claim that nobody got this like it's almost impossible to know because there's so many variables and people just walk and run so differently that there's no way to get a grasp of this this is what the uh even like kairos physios um you know people who work in strength and conditioning this is by far the biggest belief is that you can't break down biomechanics. So even when I talk biomechanics in terms of breaking down gait, it's almost like the brain shut off immediately. It's like, you can't do that. Let's move on to something else, you know? Um, but I think you can. You can break it down very intelligently. We can have debates about it, but we can go part by part, which is what we've done in these episodes, right? So 
-hmm. It's my belief that you can break down biomechanics that during three dimensional motions, there's a lot of dances between the joints. Take for instance, your hips are moving in an overhead pattern. Your shoulders are moving in an underhand pattern. And in between the core is doing a dance and you have to coordinate them to get that dance and symphony to move properly or to coordinate properly. Okay. You have to be in sync. This is nowhere to be found in training and it's not even a thought process. It's that is more specialized stuff um, specific to the sport, but we're not training that. We just need to train the tissues and then eventually the tissues will have the capacity to do that. I no longer believe well, that. And, and, and that, that, okay. So, so what you just said, there's, there's a few things. There's, there's this cool quote by uh, Dr. Andrea Smina that I saw, you know, the FRC founder. And, uh, you know, he says, exercise is a human invention designed to allow us to compensate for the fact that we are not living the way that we are supposed to. This underlying principle that there is a way that we're supposed to be living or AKA supposed to be moving is, is both simultaneously accepted and then, like you said, denied, as in it's like it's impossible to break down the nuances of biomechanics. But there, there, there's also an acknowledgement that we are supposed to move a certain way, whether you believe in evolution or intelligent design. Either one of those presuppose this idea that there's that that the every part of our body is a feature, not a flaw. It's a function, not a flaw. Right? It's not like it's not a glitch in the system that we that that we have to kind of hack our way around or program around. It's it's like every part of our body it exists for a reason and has its own pre-designed or or evolved function, right? And that I think that approach looking at it from like this is you know you, you talk about using first principles approaches a lot where okay well what is the first principle the first principle in my mind is like how are we supposed to move like why do we like why is our body the way it it, it is and how is it supposed to function like what are the actual functions of each part of this body and then you know even moving further back forget the each part element because like you just said it, our our body exists as a chain as a unified whole it's not a collection of parts right this is the whole this is the issue of uh, you know i i was very very obsessed with nutrition science for a long time and the issue that i found in nutrition science is that a lot of nutrition science is based on isolating components of food and not looking at the way that whole food interacts in the body it's looking at the isolated components so it's like looking at you know like when they did studies on fructose they would take like a high fructose corn syrup or an isolated fructose molecule and they would see how it affects the liver. But if you look at fructose, which is like a sugar found in fruit, if you look how it interacts with the human body uh, when it's ingested from honey uh, or from fruit, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't cause any metabolic damage at all, right? So when, you, when you're looking at the whole, it, it moves differently than its parts. What I'm seeing is that we're talking about trying to break down the human body into parts and then like that tissue conditioning thing where it's like, oh, well, your tissues just aren't strong enough to deal with the, the stressors of, of what's happening, right? Well, that, again, this is the idea of training as a human intervention to, to make up for other issues. There are issues in the way that we sit, in the way that we train, in the footwear that we use, and the lack of activity that our, our like modern lives sort of create that we have to sort of do interventional work to correct, right? So, you know, like I, I sit in a chair a lot for work. I do a lot of graphic design. I do some web design and I'm sitting in a chair a lot and I have to do work 
to reverse some of the the tissue adhesions that come from having my my hips and my back sitting in this 90 degree angle for hours at a time that makes sense to me so you know if there are tissue imbalances caused by unnatural patterns then i will do it um you know like i will spend time uh you know stretching out the fascia in my hip flexors for example to counterbalance and i will spend time moving in the way that we're quote meant to be and i'll spend time sitting on the floor and i'll spend time in these other patterns and these other behaviors but you know the the issue is when you start to treat the body as a collection of parts you lose the understanding of the body as this unified whole so with that in mind you know i still do isolation work and i still train muscles for aesthetic purposes but minimally compared to now how i'm training the body as a unified whole you know i will i i'm more likely to do uh, pushing patterns with a sled or rotational work with a cable machine um while maybe like the less than a third of my training is just you know like a, a couple of sets to failure for for training certain muscles just for muscle hypertrophy again i would like to eliminate that if i could you know i would like to have an optimal way to train hypertrophy and aesthetics without having to do conventional bodybuilding exercises i don't know if there is one um based on because i have an extensive understanding of the science of hypertrophy i don't know how i could emulate that in the in the style of like a pure kinetic chain right so uh, the, the the issue though is if if I you know but like I I still dropped squats and I still dropped deadlifts and I still dropped a lot of these movements that I used to think were like the holy grail of training because I also saw the direct impact on my gait mechanics. So if I can keep different movement patterns that don't necessarily negatively impact my gait mechanics immediately, and I test it every time. Like I'll do some. Every time I do any form of like, uh, you know, conventional weightlifting, I'll test my natural gait without doing anything, without focusing on it, film myself and see if there's an, any immediate negative feedback. So far, a lot of upper body stuff hasn't necessarily negatively affected me, but other times I still have to, you know, immediately pattern afterwards after doing even a little bit of conventional weightlifting. So that was a huge rant, but did anything stand out for you in, in there? Yeah, there was a few things. Let's go with... Um... Uh, basically, to me, you can't maximize both. You can do both. So it just depends yeah. how much time you yeah. have and how much energy you want to put into it. My goals at this point aren't aesthetic or hypertrophy. They have been in the past, but at this particular point, that's neither of my goals. So I haven't touched a gym in two years. Okay. Hmm. I don't, I work out or I shouldn't say I work out. I practice movement on a daily basis. Okay. I don't do it in a gym. I don't need a gym. Okay. And the way I work out is five minutes here, five minutes there. Um, think about this pattern and how I can integrate it into movement. Okay. So, I mean, I'm going above and beyond what most people are willing to do in terms of how to structure the workout. I'm working out 24 seven and that's like a, or, you know, when I'm awake, um, that takes to another point where it's like your body doesn't care what your schedule is. Like, we evolved to move all day, a little bit, not aggressively for an hour, okay? You can do that sometimes, and your body gives you the capacity to do it if you're healthy. But to do it day after day after day, it's just not how we were designed to go hard one hour, sit the rest of the day, and recover, okay? Like, it's just, your body doesn't care what your schedule is, is the point, okay? So if you wanna go back to more natural style of training, it has to be done uh, less intensely multiple times per day. 
or should be done that way. Well, and this, you know, this, this kind of goes back to that principle of exercises and intervention to compensate for the fact that we're not living the way that we're supposed to be living. Like if you think about, and again, like this, this is like a first principle thing. How are we actually supposed to be living? Are we looking at, um, you know, the human body as, as like, as having our ancestors be hunter gatherers that were principally, you know, we were living tribally in nature. We were principally barefoot. We were, you know, doing longer distance hauls with less food. Uh, we fasted for longer periods of time. Like I, I regularly fast. Um, and I can fast for up to three days comfortably without, without like any pain or like dizziness or weirdness. Um, just cause I trained myself to do it. And I was like, this, this feels, it feels like a natural state. It feels like something that my body is naturally able to just kind of cope with, um, versus like, are we, you know, are we meant to eat all the time? Are we meant to look at screens and have our entire cognition sort of exist, you know, digitally this, this is like, you know, the, the like with Facebook rolling out the metaverse now, where, you know, now, now it's like you can actually live a digital existence. They have these gloves that you can put on where you can literally feel things. Like they'll stimulate uh, different feelings in a different way, right? It's almost like you're connecting your nervous system to a computer where your body is becoming less and less relevant at all. Like that's, that's what the trend of humanity in terms of like a collective consciousness is moving towards is more simulated experience. But our bodies don't recognize simulated experience. Our bodies are always registering exactly what we're doing in this moment, right? So how are we actually supposed to move? Like, I agree with you in terms of the, you know, like your body won't register the fact, like it might have a higher nervous system input to do heavy weights for an hour, but you're still, you know, you still have to contend with the repetition of the things that you do every day. So, you know, one of the, one of the reasons I feel I can get away with a lot, you know, a minimal amount of hypertrophy work, for example, is because I also have that approach of a regular throughout the day movement practice. I'll stand up, I'll get down on the floor and do my computer work from the floor in, in different positions. I will think about the way that my body is supposed to move in a different way. I won't just be uh, basically relying on the hour that I spend four times a week in the gym to be for my physical well-being, right? Like that, I can't, you can't do that. You cannot assume that you can spend four hours a week in the gym and that your body's going to function fine if the rest of what you're doing is shit for your body at the end of the day so absolutely so 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 let's let's go first principles how do you think we're supposed to live like if you were if you were looking at society as a whole because now we're getting a little we're, we're going to get a little more meta in terms of in terms of movement right but the art of move is like the first principle is how the human body is supposed to move which begs the question how are we supposed to live right well, it's definitely not what we're doing now sitting all day. That would never been a thing. Chairs were just, you know, this is recent in the last hundreds of years, right? You would have been squatting even in, you know, um, in Asia and a lot of Eastern Europe, people will squat still. Okay. And that keeps your hips somewhat healthy and uh, keeps you in ranges of motion, which I believe the ground resting on the ground is how animals naturally rest. You get your uh should i say movement nutrient the um just shutting down your body and having everything in its full range of motion like i am right now i'm kneeling instead of sitting right so my hips are going in a full kind of like squat when i'm kneeling in size up position right so to me i just added in an extra we're going to be here for an hour and a half i just added in an extra hour and a half of a good resting position 
versus a sitting position, which is going to make me tight. This is kind of how okay. I integrate things at the office. When I'm working on patients, I'll be in a bow position with my leg all the time. I'll, I'll try to mimic good resting postures as I'm working. So there again, I'm adding in another four or five hours of, um, positive motion to my body. Okay. Instead of sitting again, I just replaced what I'm doing. Um, the lack of movement is really the problem. Okay. And that's why I said earlier that, um, basically you should be moving a little bit all day. If you could add in, you know, a size of position, just kneeling on your chair for an hour a day, that's going to make a difference, right? Going in the positive direction. I like what Kelly Starrett used to say, uh, make a better decision. So you have a decision in the moment. Do I sit for the next two hours? Or do I, uh, sit on my feet, you know, kneel in size of position. One's going to be better than the other. One's going to have a better outcome after a year. So you have to start integrating things in your life like that. So how we were supposed to live again is more movement uh, throughout the day and interlacing uh, different resting positions on the ground as a baseline. Right. So that's, that's a good baseline, right? Yeah. So that's, that's how we're meant to rest. Yeah. Um, but in terms of an actual lifestyle, like obviously like we're not meant to sit all day. Um, yeah. are you like, here, here's a question. Are you basing how we're meant to live on, uh, like indigenous tribes and hunter gatherer principles? Absolutely. How I would live in nature if I was, you know, able to do that. Right. So in the morning I'll go for a barefoot walk in the summer, of course, in the winter, can't really do it right now. Go for a barefoot walk in the morning. Nice and easy. I'm not trying to do anything too crazy. Maybe I'll grab a rope and just rope in a simple figure eight pattern, um, you know, looking at the sunrise or in the morning anyway, right? And I'll, I'll get that done while I walk my dogs, okay? So there are five minutes of really easy movement, getting my whole body into it. I might do a little bit of uh, shadow boxing, dancing, something along those lines that isn't really uh, going to spike my nervous system too much. I'll go to work. While I work, I'm uh, trying to be in good positions. I know I'm, you know, compromised sometimes and it's not naturally how I would do things, right? Staying in the same position for 15 minutes sometimes, but I try to maximize that. Then I'll come home at lunch, usually go for a little walk or run, two, three kilometers, nothing major. Um, again, I might do a little bit of coordination work while I'm doing that, breathing exercises, in the evening, I might do something a little bit more intense like boxing or, um, you know, a, a longer run, sprinting, something along those lines or uh, a martial arts move that I want to work on. Okay. And that'll be, that's how I work out. I, I don't ever go to a gym. I don't ever uh, lift weight anymore. I might do some uh, kettle or not kettlebells, um, mace bell swinging um, with, you know, a 10 pound mace bell, something along those lines. But it's pretty much all locomotion and all movement-based practice all day, interspersed throughout the day with very little intensity, maybe 20 minutes uh, once a day. Hmm. And then that goal that you have specifically is just to feel good in your body, to have good locomotive patterns, and to you know, basically have longevity of your joints and better function in your body. Well, I, I'm also, I want to be athletic too. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm still running up mountains. I'm trying to like beat my time every time I'm running down steep terrain. You know how it is out here. It's, it's rough, right? Like, um, I'm always out in the forest barefoot, you know? So like you have to be 
athletic, your tissues have to adapt. My tissues are strong. Like I haven't been injured in a long, long time. And I'm, you know, skiing, I'm jumping off whatever height, 15, 20 feet, doing things like that, skiing at fast speeds. Um, yeah, running full tilt downhill, doing things like that. So uh, basically my tissues are very conditioned and I've done no weightlifting. I've done no uh, actual physical work in the gym to make them that way. Yet they're still right. resilient because I prioritize the biomechanics. And to me, that, that's like an 80-20, right? I, I don't ever get into compromised positions. I shouldn't say that. The amount that I get into compromised positions has lowered significantly since I've trained how to move properly. Okay. And this is down to a T I'm training the balance. I'm training quick feet. I'm training how to have my head over my foot. What happens when I slip, how to roll out of a slip, um, things like that, that are real life motions. Okay. So yeah, that's a little bit of an insight on how I train, but, um, to, to give a little bit more nuance, the maneuvers that I'm training are very complicated. Okay, I'm doing, you know, 360 motions, trying to get my lower body and upper body to integrate. Basically, I'm, I'm uh, experimenting all the time, right? So yeah. that gives yeah. me an edge where I'm working in that 20 minutes, I can get a lot done with complexity. So my one rep max is really getting complexity out of my motion, mm -hmm. not lifting So you heavy. talk, you know, and, and, and I want people to think about that too when, when they hear that complexity challenges your nervous system and a one rep max challenges your nervous system in a different way, right? Like the, the, your nervous system works more when you're lifting heavier weights. Uh, and, and you, you can tell that because like do a one rep max squat and then see how you feel for the rest of the day. You're, you're pretty drained. You're exhausted. You're a little foggy. Your whole nervous system was firing at once and you can emulate that nervous, that, 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 you know, that intensity of nervous system stimulation by doing complex things. You have to think about these movements and coordinate these movements. It's, uh, you know, I remember when I was doing the Edo Portal method stuff, a lot of these capoeira style movements that you would string together, you're trying to coordinate your balance and your positioning and your, your, your learning proprioception in a different way. If you're doing like any handstand work, all of a sudden you're flipping your whole proprioceptive abilities literally upside down and it's neurologically demanding, right? So, so that's like when you're talking about like a one rep max of doing something very, very complex, that's a real thing. Like you, you need rest periods between attempts of complex things and visualizing and, and doing these things just as much as you need rest of like between reps from heavy weightlifting. The difference is that rather than focusing on pure power output and, and neural drive of, of like motor units, it's coordination of the body. And I think, you know, what I hear when you talk a lot about training and you talk a lot about what the first order priority is for the human body, it's learning to use the body as a, as a whole and coordinating movement between joints and between the parts of your body, not just training the individual parts of your body. Right. And I think that's, I think that's a, a really cool foundational piece that we haven't really discussed. Like we have talked about it a bit, but we haven't going joint by joint in a lot of our other episodes and we never overtly stated that it's like, look, your priority is to make your body move as a unit, not to train individual body parts to look good, to be jacked, to have a lot of, you know, quote unquote strength. It's, it goes way beyond compound movements where it's multi-joint weightlifting, you know, like a compound lift where it's like, oh, well, my shoulders and my elbows are extending, right? Like, it's like, no, like what are happening along the fascial lines of your body? 
how are you loading and unloading energy in the elastic recoil of these sling systems within your body? That's so, and, and that's almost like honestly too technical for some people. How coordinated are you in your movement? How tired do you get when you move? Are you efficient? Those are, those are some things. What are some other priorities in terms of training that you like to think about? Like if someone's like shifting from a, you know, big muscles and power output mindset and, or like even body part individual training to movement coordination or kinetic chain training, like what are, what are some, cause, cause, cause a lot of people who are used to say weightlifting, it's like they have this quantified number that they track the, the weight goes up. It's very easy to quantify and track. What are some measures or things that you can help people quantify to start thinking about it in a different way, if you can? That's a very, very good question. And that's honestly very difficult to answer. I would start like, <laughs> I think Dota's laid this out. I can't say it enough, right? Like it is the easiest way to start switching into a, um, a movement-based approach where you're thinking about mechanics, but it is a mindset switch, right? Like you can't quantify the numbers like you can on a bench press. When I, when I did something more coordinated today than I did yesterday, it's, I can't quantify that for you. You know, like yeah. it's just not, not possible. Um, I can't even explain it to people a lot of the times, right? Because it's just, it's something I've been working on how to coordinate the lower and upper body and there's no uh, mainstream explanation for it, right? So you do actually have to switch your mindset a little bit and get away from the sets and reps. But then a lot of people have a, I need to know what I'm doing tomorrow. I need a five rep, five set scheme. And so I can just go and do it and that'll be that. And then I have my fitness for the day. So that works for some people. For me, it's not going to work. And for movement-based practice, it's not really going to work. Now, you can start with basic linear motions. Like, you know, if you crawl, like do a bear crawl or a mountain climber, you can go one side at a time and feel what it's like to move your uh, arm to your, or sorry, your leg to your arm, right? And that'll coordinate your core and how to side bend. So basically starting to crawl and starting to, if you don't want to crawl and look ridiculous, you can do bear crawls on your hands, more like a push-up, right? And that's trying to coordinate side-to-side -side motions very simply, okay? Um, other than that, I would get into roping, which is just, uh, if you look on WEC method, uh, you'll see a lot of roping videos. So David WEC is, is really the forefront of this, uh, Tim Sheaf. A lot of good ropers out there, but basically it's coordinating your upper and lower body and it doing figure eight patterns with your upper body. Now, this is very important because this is what you're doing smoothly during a run. Okay. So if I had a pen that came out from my uh, sternum, my xiphoid process, and I was to go up to a chalkboard and pretend I'm roping, I would just be drawing a figure eight pattern on the chalkboard. Do you get what I'm saying by that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So when I was teaching my dad how to do it, that's what I showed him. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. This is Chris Chamberlain and he's doing some fancy maneuvers. That's the underhand sneak or sorry, the overhand sneak. But I would basically, this is a little too complicated for most people. I would just do this overhand pattern that he's doing right now. Um, yeah. If you just go to WEC method. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see, not the dragon roll. Yeah, so he's teaching Ian Markow here on the on the screen how to rope, right? But basically what you're doing is you're either going overhand or underhand in a figure eight pattern, 
Okay, the overhand patterns mimic throwing and uh, striking. Okay, so if I was to throw an overhand right when I'm striking in boxing, I'm doing that overhand pattern that you're seeing during the rope. Except that when you're doing it with the rope, you can um, do it a million times over, a thousand times over in the morning in five minutes and not wear and tear your body. So it's pattern training to coordinate the right and left side of your body. It's getting your brain to, to fire on both sides of the both sides of the brain, the left and right. Yeah, so what Anthony's showing right now is an overhand pattern. Okay? And it's a figure eight. And then I show the underhand pattern. So that's more along the lines of a yeah, so he's leading with his pinkies. Basically, he's showing a figure eight with his body, right? And when you do it with the rope, the rope will look smooth when your movement's smooth, okay? It's a very easy way to start. I'll post a video on this, and, and you can look at my Instagram. There's a lot uh, on this in particular, but that is a fantastic way to start. However, even more fundamental than that, I would start at the feet. If I was to do it over again, and start my functional journey, I would start with how to uh, stand properly on your feet. Whether that be uh, supinating, making sure your ankle bones are high, okay? And trying to control how much pronation, how much your uh, ankle bones sink in, that's number one, okay? So don't let your ankle bones sink in too much. Everyone could agree on that, okay? Now what Goat is saying is keep them up as high as possible all the time and pivot point a little bit more complicated at the start though don't let those ankle bones drop and try to be try to feel your feet that is literally what i would start with and that's like going from uh you know like if you're if you're wanting to use like a conventional training example that'd be like starting doing push-ups from your knees before you're doing them like a full plank or from a deficit right like you want to want to start off small and build up over time as well because again if you're de-patterned from all these things and it's going to take a little bit of time. So, so, so just to kind of cover again, you know, the roping thing is cool because again, you can add complexity to it. You taught me how to rope. And what I found too is, you know, I have a very rounded upper back from, from doing a lot of deadlifts and a lot of heavy weightlifting and, you know, some scapular issues from, you know, improper alignment while I'd been lifting. And I, I mean, I did like a month of regular roping, you know, for anywhere between three to, to 30 minutes sessions at a time every you know every few days and my back felt so good my my scapular positioning was better my thoracic spine started to naturally extend after being kyphotic for years um and i was really emphasizing that spinal movement while also practicing the foot position and again it's it's this idea that coordinated movement in patterns that support the way that our bodies are supposed to move will Put you in these favorable situations where you don't have to outwardly train the tissues to reverse damage like it's it's so so the reason why biomechanics could be a first principles priority where you would almost want to prioritize it over tissue conditioning is because it is in itself more naturally healing than just trying to like reverse the damage from you know hammering away at individual tissues not to say that you know, for example, if you have like major adhesions and major issues with certain tissues that are inhibiting you from moving in biomechanically sound ways that you wouldn't want to isolate and do tissue specific work. But I think it's the context, right? So 
you know, the, the stronger, you know, one of the, the original tweet was stronger isn't, does not equal better unless it is inside angle bone high and back chain dominant. I would also say that like, you know, stronger is not always better because strength is often associated with decreases in mobility. We talked a lot about that in our spinal engine uh, situation where it's like you can have like the strongest core in the world. But what that means is if your core is too strong, then you've lost spinal mobility and now your spine can't undulate in the way that it's supposed to. And your other joints are going to compensate. You're going to cause more wear and tear on your joints because you have a stronger core. What a concept, right? Like that's like so against, I, you know, I, I like go on Instagram right now and try to find anyone talking about how overtraining your core is going to be bad for your spinal undulation. You're not going to fucking find it, right? No, the thought process is the opposite. And uh, we can go like, let's, let's look at that tweet a little bit because uh, could you repeat it again? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll just, I'll just pull it up right now. And again, it's underscore K Gota who, uh, who, who tweeted it out. It, this is, I'm pretty sure a, a, a guy named Kyle, who is also a certified go to coach, but stronger does not equal better unless you're talking about inside ankle bone high and back chain dominant integrity. Okay. So we've talked about inside ankle bone high. Let's talk about back chain dominance. This is literally the most low hanging fruit I've seen, uh, especially after evaluating people with this lens in the chiropractic world, everybody is front chain dominant, almost everybody. It's rare to see someone with nice back chain dominance, having the butt behind the rib cage and, and a slight forward lean. Um, it's rare because my prediction here, or my hypothesis is that sitting doesn't promote it. Almost everybody's sitting. Um, and regular gym culture, most lifting does not promote having a good back chain dominance. Okay. So again, that's butt behind rib cage. And it's as simple as this, your butt moves behind your rib cage and the back of your body lights up as the muscular and, um, fascial forces. The basically the farther over you lean, the more you have to turn on your back, the farther back you lean, the more you have to turn on your front. Okay. So if your hips are in front of your rib cage all day, the front of your body is going to be doing work times that by let's say eight hours of you standing after you've sat all day and your front of your body's lit up. So, um, the simple cue is butt behind rib cage, the amount of people who can do it, that depends, right? Because it's really a behavior change. It's not so much a, uh, something that you can train into you. Like let's say a deadlift, for instance, that's a back chain dominant exercise in when yeah. you're, when you're leaning over, right? However, yeah. on your way up, you're thrusting your hips forward. So that, uh, will promote more of a front chain behavior because you're literally shoving your hips forward as your spine goes backwards during a high neurological drive exercise. Okay. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of quote unquote fit people really jacked. They'll be super front chain dominant. It's almost that end of the deadlift feel where you block out and get your glutes to really squeeze. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Your, your hips are just kind of like sticking way out in front of your body. And then your whole, your whole yeah. front chain, which is like the front of your body. It's like, just basically any, anyone who's listening right now, just stand up, stand up and, and like have your hips slightly behind you, like feet, feet pointed forward underneath your hips. Have your hips slightly behind your rib cage and see that like put your weight straight down the middle and see what part of your, what side of your body 
has to has to activate to 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 engage push your hips out in front all of a sudden you feel it up your quads you feel it in your core because your core is trying to i remember feeling my core a lot when i was uh, when i was doing a lot of indoor rowing where i would lean super far back to row super far and i'm like man my, my core why is my core so shot it's because i'm leaning leaning back and my core has to engage to keep me upright um, now, now, even, even as I'm sitting here, like think about sitting, right? Like most people sit with their shoulders, lean back, they lean back, they recline. Everything's a reclining position because we're so front chain dominant versus even when I'm sitting, if I'm sitting with my butt on a chair, my, my ribs are trying to go in front of my hips so that I'm still back chain dominant. Like I mean, if I'm that's, sitting and I'm resting, that's, that's about like, that's as good as sitting is going to get. Well, that's like a Kelly Starrett uh, behavior thing again, right? Make a better decision. You can lean back in your chair for an hour or you can lean forward in your chair. Neither one is optimal, but the forward lean is going to be better than the backward lean if you're going to hold for an hour, okay? But um, basically, you'll never see a really, really good athlete that's forward moving be front chain dominant, not one that lasts a long time anyway. Okay, but I can look down the street right now and watch people jog and I'll see everyone almost be front chain dominant, right? So um, it's really something that you can change, but it is easily, but it's a behavior change. Okay, so butt behind rib cage is huge. So uh, whoever that was that tweeted that, I think is correct on that one. Now, doesn't matter how strong you are. You could be the strongest person in the world. In fact, the quote unquote strongest people in the world would be power lifters because that's how it's measured now. People who can lift the most weight are generally uh, thought of as the strongest people, right? They are almost all front chain dominant. I've, I haven't, like rarely do I see one that's back chain dominant because that's their, their forces, they're pushing through their heels. And that's another thing, that's another huge thing. You know, remember the argument of, and I think this is still relevant in there, what part do you land on, your heel or your toe during a run? Should you heel strike or should you toe strike? Well, the thing is, try, try heel striking when you're really back chain. When your ribs are behind, or sorry, in front of your uh, hips, it's really hard to actually heel strike. Do you know what I mean? So that fixes that right away. So the whole argument is tossed out the window when you just go back chain dominant, right? So it's one of those first principles that should have been there before the whole argument of, you know, what part of my foot do I hit? Well, you'll have no choice. If you go really front chain dominant, you're gonna hit your heels no matter what. You're not accessing your toes. If you're going very back chain, the opposite happens, right? So uh, we need to take the first principles out first, okay? So that was a great tweet um, from yep. whoever that was, yeah. An underscore K Goda, it's uh, Kyle uh, Giddell, G-A-E-D-E-L-E. Um, and you, like, that's, I, I, you know, I've never been a, a great runner. I'm only starting to, to kind of get, get my stride unintended, um, with running right now. And I remember the first early cue that I got was from a football coach in high school. And he said, when you're running, you know, imagine you're falling forward and you're just catching yourself with your feet. Like you're, you're trying to like push with your legs so much, just let yourself fall forward so that gravity can kind of carry you forward. It kind of makes sense. It makes more sense with, with the principles that we're talking about of gait mechanics where there's that energy transfer. Because if you're leaning forward and then you're passing the energy from foot to foot using that, that pivotal system, if you're rotating off and you're transferring energy from one foot to another, you know, you're talking about that, uh, that, that you call it free energy, 
you know, it's 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 just the momentum of you kind of if if you lean too far forward, you'll fall over and then you have to catch yourself. If you're catching yourself and then you know, sort of letting that energy transfer off your foot and going on to the next part, then it'll feel like you're using a lot less energy. That's the whole idea of efficiency, right? You're using the, you know, whatever force is pulling you down towards the ground if you lean too far forward and you're catching yourself and you're transferring that force behind you and to propel yourself forward, right? And that's, that's just basic, like, that's just energy efficiency. You'll be more efficient if you're, if you're, if you're falling forward than if you're falling backward, as in, Back chain dominance, you're falling forward. Front chain dominance, like try to try to push your hips super super far back. Eventually, you're going to fall down backwards, right? Wouldn't you rather be falling forwards if you're trying to move forwards? Well, it's it's an interesting question, and that cue that you just said, um, where you're falling forward, uh, that's kind of a hit or miss, right? You you're definitely going to promote uh, back chain dominance, but you don't want to go too far forward, as you mentioned, because you want to be in your columns or head over your foot, right? Now, if you're going super fast and you, you have to accelerate, your head's going to be slightly in front of your foot, right? Um, but as you equalize your running, it should be more you're in your columns, head over your foot, passing energy from one side to the other. Usain Bolt is doing it correctly. I understand he has a scoliosis. But you'll watch his upper body and it waves back and forth. This is what happens with a lot of good athletes. And it becomes more important as you move three-dimensionally, okay? So... Um, that's great stuff there. I think the um, what we could really get into is what he means by strength, right? Like mm. there's, you know, I think a system like ATG would say that um, your tissue strength is above your biomechanics. Like biomechanics are secondary to how strong your tissues are because no matter what, if you don't have the tissue capacity for a high-end sport where you have to sprint at full tilt, it doesn't matter how good your mechanics are right? To some degree, that's true because, I mean, you do need some sort of tissue resiliency. However, well, it's, it's um, a chicken or the egg thing, right? Because like, you're also talking about like, you need the tissue integrity and the tissue strength to even get into these biomechanically sound positions. Yeah, but it's, it's also the stop the bleeding argument where why are we even, why do we need all this strong tissue if you're just bleeding out and moving incorrectly and promoting, uh, you know, positions that could have higher chance of injury than others, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the importance of biomechanics hasn't really been addressed, I think, in terms of walking and running to injury because nobody's had a coherent map of how to do it, okay? There's no agreed upon coherent map of how to run or even walk. The ones that are out there right now are ultra basic linear models that, I mean, I can throw three quarters of them. I, I don't even look at them anymore. Um, there are some decent ones out there pushing a little bit of farther idea, but um, I think, again, you know, go to WAC method uh, from what I've seen of functional patterns. These are great uh, systems that have promote running and walking, okay, as the most important element of human nature, basically, right? Yeah. So, yeah, back to the, the argument of the actual tissue strength, though, okay? So, like, an ATG would say we need to make the tissues as long and as strong as possible okay so that no matter what range you're in you'll be good to go right it doesn't matter if you have slightly off biomechanics because the tissue is going to be so resilient that um it'll have the chance to have the force or the uh the strength to absorb the forces that you'll put through it 
doesn't matter if you have good biomechanics if you don't have the strength to uh, enforce that tissue tolerance. Okay, so that's the argument I think presented there. Where an FRC would say functional range conditioning is more about the joint capsules. If your joint capsules don't have the motion in there, it's not going to neurologically let the muscle uh, lengthen in the first place. So you're just going to be working against yourself. Uh, the muscles will tighten back up because it's neurologically stopping you from going in a higher range of motion. Okay. Where Goda would say, or, or uh, more of a biomechanical approach would say, well, we have to get the biomechanics correct first, and then we can start loading it and loading it within the biomechanics that we believe to be correct in walking and running. I'm more along the lines of that camp now. However, in theory, right now, this just doesn't make sense because there's no model for it. In practice, I'm getting major gains in, in my movement, so I'm going to keep going with that. And, and again, like this is, this is with the idea of a movement prioritized goal, right? If, you're, if your goals are pure hypertrophy or even, you know, like performance in gymnastics, for example, like gymnastics requires extreme end range length. And most of gymnastics does not uh, honor the biomechanical principles of the way the human body is supposed to move, right? So a lot of these things, a lot of these sports, like, I mean, Naudi Aguilar of functional patterns, we, we talk about him a lot because he's, he's like, I think of functional patterns, WEC method and GOTA of like the, the holy trinity of people who are counter fitness culture, right? And, and Naudi Aguilar will be like, I'm not going to fucking play tennis, bro. Like, I'm not going to play sports because it's going to do uh, biomechanical damage to my body. Like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be putting myself in these unfavorable positions, creating imbalances, and and like people who say these things are fun are stupid because they're creating dysfunction in their body. So I'm not gonna do any like things that people say are fun, like like uh you know like playing soccer or playing playing whatever sport that's causing this dysfunction. It's not worth it to him, right? However, it is worth it to some people, right? Like even weightlifting for some people, like powerlifting is the most ridiculous sport in the world, the amount of food that you have to eat, the amount of suffering that you put your body through. Almost every power lifter that has power lifted has had, it's like an 100% injury rate. Someone has had a major injury along the way and long-term, like you're screwed. Like look at Ronnie Coleman, who is a bodybuilder, you know, in the hospital in a wheelchair after doing 800 pound squats in his 20s and 30s, right? On, on how, God knows how many steroids. Like there are consequences to, to anything, right? At the end of the day, you kind of have to look at it. But I think what, what a lot of people do is they kind of delude themselves into thinking that the sport that they're doing or the training that they're doing is not causing biomechanical damage and is not is actually helping them. That's that's the, the even bigger delusion. Like my like I, I was delusional in thinking that weightlifting, for example, was helping my my body. In reality, it, it like Again, it was the better choice over being completely sedentary and sitting in a front chain dominant position on the couch playing video games for eight hours. Um, but it's it still wasn't doing my body any favors. I had, you know, I had a herniated disc. I have, you know, I have a shoulder surgery that I have to go to from Olympic lifting. Um, I had all kinds of injuries that I sustained because I wasn't respecting the, the biomechanical principles of my body. I wasn't thinking about the biomechanical principles of my body. And I paid the price for it. And I think a lot of people have to stop deluding themselves into thinking that the, the way that we train is biomechanically favorable for us, that it's doing us good in the long term. Things like yoga, things like weightlifting, things like even um, 
you know, like we, we were talking about the ATG system and they're, they're probably like the best of the best within the, the sort of model of weightlifting for health. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but the, the, it begs the question is, is weightlifting the best thing for health <laughs> at the end of the well, day? You can, you can modify lifting weights to have a positive impact on you. I don't, I don't doubt that the way it's done right now, probably not right. For the most part, especially like a, the average person has no idea what they're doing with, with that sort of thing. And to that, if you have no training, you shouldn't be lifting weights as a practice, you know, in terms of like, you really have to master how to lift weight. And again, that's a skill, right? You need to master how to lift an appropriate amount of weight, like, you know, a, a good amount of weight, a couple hundred pounds, you should be able to manipulate that around. Okay. But beyond that, it becomes a specialty sport. Okay. If you, you got to lift more than like two or 300 pounds in your home, uh, get a professional, you know, like the amount of people I see hurting themselves out there as a chiropractor from moving furniture or moving things around the their house a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, it really comes down to does what you're doing in the gym promote efficiency in motions or are you just working on your tissues? Are you working on your, the, uh, hypertrophy of your tissues, getting them bigger? right? Most people are more along those lines, aesthetics and getting the muscles bigger and, and nicer. Okay. That in itself is a different goal than getting better at movement. Yeah. I propose getting, be getting better at movement should be the priority as a first principle, because you have to live with your body your whole life. And if you made your muscles the, the best looking, the strongest, the biggest right now, but you injure uh, you know, the, a couple of joints, those muscles are going to go down real quick. You know, you're not going to be able to actually even use the muscles because the joints aren't prepared. A joint will never give a muscle power if it can't handle it. Okay. So the joints are really the variable that are stopping your power. If that's what you're trying to do. Okay. Now there has to be some sort of underlying tissue strength. I don't doubt that tendon strength. I don't doubt that, but do you get it from what type of lifting do you get it from? That's really the key, right? So that's really the question. It's like, what type of lifting or what type of, I shouldn't even say lifting because it's not lifting all the time. It can be done without it. What type of variables in force, force production and forces within your body create the tissues that you want to have? So if I wanna be bouncy, I gotta do things that promote elasticity. If I want to be strong, quote unquote, strong to lift weights off the ground, obviously power lifters and Olympic lifters are doing it correctly, right? Like get as big as you can so that you can have an equal and opposite force against the ground, right? And lift the most weight possible. However, you'll suffer in other areas. Okay. So again, it has to come down to priorities, what the body is designed for walking and running to me. If it's not getting you better at that, then it's just arbitrary exercise. And arbitrary meaning like, well, there is a lot of arbitrary exercise. I think not most exercises are arbitrary if you're training for a specific goal, for example, but you could say it's arbitrary in terms of the health benefits that it incurs, right? Like you can train specifically for bodybuilding, you can train specifically for CrossFit, which by the way, I do like, you know, CrossFit is this, I, I, I used to think that there was no way you could train for CrossFit being that it was just like all these different movements, but you can like you know it's it's basically it's work capacity and skills that's that's what crossfit is um yeah. 
work capacity and skills. So you can train you can train that specifically. So CrossFit is a sport specific training. Training for Olympic weightlifting is a sport specific training. Now it, it gets more ambiguous when you train for things like basketball or football because those are running uh, like football especially because those are contact sports right where you need to have you know some degree of re bodily resilience when you're getting fucking smoked by 300 pound dudes you want to be able to run super fast so you want those biomechanically sound patterns to run really really effectively um, but you also want the tissue resilience that if you if you get knocked on your ass and you're being banged around you don't want your body to just snap under that pressure right like you won't have resilience in that in that sense now the question is can you build that resilience and that strength and that uh that the, that tissue demand using biomechanically sound patterns i think so probably i mean like if you think about what even even like uh, you know you see those big push pads for football where they're like they're they're pushing against you think about like linemen like clapping up against each other they're back chain dominant pushing off each other trying to you know trying to create as much force as possible in a forward moving direction Deadlift's probably not going to help with that too, too much, other than, so, you know, maybe getting you big. So is the question you're asking, um, can you train within, you know, go to patterns to change the tissue? Or can you train within, uh, you know, biomechanically sound positions and change the tissue? Is that the question? And, and the other question is, you know, for some sports, will that actually put you at a disadvantage if some of the patterns are not, native patterns to the human body you know i think of like obviously you can't you can't train go to gymnastics it doesn't exist like you're going to be doing handstands you're you can't you can't do a go to iron cross right like i don't i, I don't think no you know like yeah. but like but but what i'm saying is like you know this is this is the whole you know at the end of the day i think what people really have to do is realize that there's going to be consequences to their their goals and if your goal is not move really re really well um first then you're going to have the issues of injuries and uh you know joint wear and tear and dysfunction and imbalances and pain in your body in the long term it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when right so if, if you know the, the like we've talked a lot about how the goal that we talk about in this specific thing is to feel great in your body when you're 80 plus you know you want to be a ninja when you're 80 you want to be dancing and running and jumping around and not degenerative right yeah. the goal of this of, of what we talk about is to not degenerate over time we want to have good strong healthy bodies that we live comfortably in and enjoy well into our old age right up until the point that we fucking die and that's I, that is the goal you know i completely um, agree i think i think there are okay let's 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 talk about this then what are some goals do you think that could coincide some common goals that could possibly coincide with that goal with the the goal of living till or being a ninja when you're 80 basically yeah 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 are, so you can, you can train goals? tissues you can absolutely train tissues right like um let's say let's take an atg right they're like let's train the tissues to be you know uh longer okay if that's your issue if you need more length in your tissue then you can absolutely train that because force is the language of the cells whatever you do to your body and do it progressively that's the key it will train that way okay now you can't grow again you can't grow three legs okay but you can really make changes on your body and length of your tissue definitely is one of them uh the bounce of your tissue you can definitely train that 
However, I always do it within the context of locomotion. So at some point, the tissue training has to be moved into locomotion, okay? Now, here's the issue. If I'm training, and this isn't looked at a lot, let's say I'm doing a deadlift, and I'm going really heavy, okay? And I'm, I'm like, this is going to make my sprint way faster, okay? And I lift that heavy deadlift. My nervous system is on its highest. I'm driving through my heels for the most part, okay? And my hips are accelerating forward. My spine's accelerating backwards. I'm now teaching my body that that's what to do during a high nervous system uh, scenario, during a, a fight or flight scenario. Okay, so what am I gonna do when my foot hits the ground? I'm gonna promote power into my heel, which I don't want. I actually want to promote power into my forefoot and be as smooth as possible with that, okay? So to me, do, do I take the time to deadlift that heavy weight or do I take the time to promote patterns within that forefoot strike with inside ankle bone high? I'll take the forefoot strike, the inside ankle bone high any day right now over the heavy deadlift. However, to each his own because my goal is different than, than another person's, right? You know, I, th I think there are some goals that could really coincide well with this gait patterning specific thing. I always think about um, a lot of sprinters have phenomenal bodies. You know, like you see, you see a lot of sprinters and they're, they're naturally anabolic. They have like the best hamstrings and glutes of any athlete because obviously it's, it's very specific, but they also have great abs, like their core looks fucking phenomenal because they, you know, that rotational force that they're generating through their core is also promoting a really good looking core. Um, it's great for fat loss. You know, it's this, this, um, the, the stimulus that you're providing when you're sprinting. Um, and if you're working on good biomechanics so that you sprint better and then you're practicing sprinting, like, again, like having, here, here's a cool goal. If you, if you have aesthetic goals, then get really good at sprinting. Yeah, like, you got to be careful with that one though, because most people should not be sprinting fast right off the get go. It's kind of like a squat. Most people. Well, yeah, but that that's like, like that's like saying, you know, it's 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 the build up principle, right? Like you're not going to go off being Usain Bolt right away, but it's like yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. It's like if you have an aesthetic goal, then have the goal to be a good sprinter. Have like be a, a technically sound good sprinter and develop the tissue strength to, to, to sprint right off the get-go, like eliminate your imbalances, get your gait patternings right, and then sprint like a motherfucker. And your body, you will lose, you, like if, if for fat loss, you will lose fat if you are eating you know, properly to fuel your exercise. Your muscles will develop extremely well because the amount of force production that you produce, especially as you get better at sprinting, sprinting becomes harder. Like the better of a sprinter you are, the more force output that you're putting, the harder it is on your body and the more adaptation that it forces, right? There's obviously a cap for everything here, but like, if you want to look good, if your if your goals are aesthetic, sprint. Cause like your shoulders have to pump and like, at like every, every, it's a full body thing working in that kinetic chain, like build yourself up to the point where you can sprint really well using these good gate pattern mechanics. That's yeah. one goal that I can think of. Do you want to be, do you want to be stronger? You want to have like a ton of strength, like get really good at pushing a heavy sled. You know, like I think that's a really good one with arms extended, arms lower, uh, you know, like you can you can easily build like quite a bit of muscle and, and strength in general, learning how to push a heavy sled because that's, that's that. force on the ground and propelling forward. So those are the, two, you know, like the two main goals that I, I think of, like most of the reason that people go to the gym is they want to look good. They want to have more muscle or they want to have less fat. Some people want to 
you know, go, go because their, their body's in pain and they want to work out so that they, you know, have more energy and stuff. But like, you'll have more energy if your biomechanics are better. You're going to have, your, your body's going to feel better if you're working on your biomechanics. Those are, those are given. It's more the other ones. Like, you're not going to look like a bodybuilder training this way, but you can still put on a ton of muscle training. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I've never felt better since I've trained more in a biomechanical approach. Like I, I used to train weights a lot, you know, that and you did as well. Right. And putting up pretty high numbers, especially for my body weight, but I was injured all the time. Okay. And I always felt like soreness. And when you feel that soreness, you're not apt to move the next day. You're, you're recovering. You're in recovery mode. Your body wants to be still because it's just too sore to move from side to side. Your nervous system is kind of on guard for you. Well, while this is happening, there's a high amount of inflammation in your body and you're eating all the best foods to counteract it. Why do it in the first place, right? So it's like, it's like the cyclical thing where you're doing it to get better aesthetics. You're doing it to get better, uh, higher quality tissues is what it promoted as, right? And, uh, and then really at the end of the day, you're going to have to stop doing it probably at some point or something, something different than lifting heavy weights. Okay. That's just the reality of in your fifties, you're going to have 20% of your, you know, your friends doing it instead of 80%, right? In your sixties, it's going to be you and maybe one other person, but you can always work on your biomechanics to increase that uh, efficiency for life. And by the time you get to an older age, you're going to be way ahead of the game. You're actually going to be able to build on skills. That's a different thing, right? Like it's also skills training to be biomechanically efficient and to understand biomechanics. You aren't so much skills training in the, in weightlifting after you've learned how to do it. It's more just learning that particular skill, right? So I'm not saying in CrossFit that there isn't skill acquisition. There's so much. Okay. So much. And same with, yeah. same with, uh, weightlifting and uh, what, what's the other one um, powerlifting right there's skills to all of them but they don't coincide with locomotion and this is really interesting too what you just said you know about the skill acquisition thing um years ago my brother showed me this study and i wish i still had it i'll have to try and see if he can pull it up for me or find where, where he found it but they, they were looking at the effects of different types of training on cognitive function and they learned that like heavy weightlifting in a powerlifting style increased uh, short-term problem-solving capabilities, whereas running like people who focused on aerobic activity had better long-term memory. And they had like all of these different things have different neurological effects, right? And I think in terms of the ability for complex thinking, the skill acquisition element, like, again, like I think of like an Edo Portal style where you're learning these complex movement patterns or you're, you know, where you're doing a lot of dance work or it's some of the rope work and you're learning a new skill to understand this, this different, like integrated biomechanical thing. It would increase complex problem solving. It would increase the ability to think abstractly and to gather information. Like it, it has a neurological effect on you too. So you're not just counteracting like if you focus on movement complexity and, and good biomechanics and you're focusing on this this again this integration then you're also neurologically helping yourself out in the long run it's not just your body that is you know not going to degrade over time it's also your mind because you're you're stimulating your mind with doing these proper biomechanical movement patterns 
And I think that's a really important factor too. Your body is your mind at the end of the day, right? Like we are what we repeatedly do, not just from a body perspective, but neurologically as well. You know, absolutely. That's a big thing. I think that's not looked at nearly enough. I think in general, I'm going to generalize right now and say that if you're free flowing in your mind, if you're feeling good, you're going to be looser with your step. You're going to be able to flow from side to side. If you're thinking about something stressful, you're a type A type person, go, go, go. You're going to be more stiff. And that makes your appearance will look like that over a period of time, right? Um, you can also train it in too. I'm not saying that, but definitely your mindset will show up in your body and how it flows. Okay. Um, I truly believe that as somebody who practices movement now, and I look at it and I see, you know, I've seen thousands of people in the office and I can, uh, get close contact with somebody's nervous system and then correlate it with how I see the muscles. This is speaking from that type of, uh, thought process right we don't even have to get that technical with it think about how many people would be like oh i carry all my stress in my shoulders or it's like oh i feel my stress in my lower back right like when people get stressed they'll have tension in different in different muscle groups in different places in their body um you know even uh carl young had this i think it was young had this idea of you know you could you could kind of pinpoint a person's archetype based on how their body structure was and these neurological holding patterns in a person's body would speak to their personality as well. And I think that's also, you know, one of the, one of the core concepts of the art of move being this integrate, you know, being better at movement and being more fluid. It's to also be free of these like neurotic holding patterns that your personality is imposing on your body. It's, you know, I think, I think that, you know, my understanding of, of the things that we're talking about, it's like, it's obviously respecting natural law, but then it's also becoming free in your own body. And if you're becoming free in your own body, you're also moving towards greater freedom in your mind. I think that's a really important thing to think about. Yeah, like a a good example for me, I was always like too tight to dance, okay? I couldn't let it, (laughs) I was was just afraid to dance because my body was too tense, you know what I mean? There wasn't that free flowing spirit coming out of my body because I couldn't go from tense jacked guy to loose flow guy. (laughs) There was just too much in between, right? Maybe after yeah. 10 drinks, it starts flowing, right? Even though I don't drink anymore. But back in the day, 10 drinks, I'd be nice and loose, right? You shouldn't have to do that. It should be no. right now, I can, I have the capacity to move. I don't feel tight in my body and I can just take this for a ride. Put some nice music on and take the body for a ride. Whatever my body wants to express, it's doing it. And I, there's no restriction other than, you know, years of maybe tight shoulders but even that like i'm loosening up all over the place it, it feels amazing okay and this is without stretching without yoga without anything other than uh well i do quite a bit right like i shouldn't say i don't do anything i'm, I'm out there with both stops and ropes swinging around trying to figure this out right uh so i am doing quite a bit but it's not what you think it is i'm not doing any weights and yet my body moves the best it's ever had I, I feel more powerful than ever. I'm displaying it with walking or sorry, running, martial arts, all that stuff. According to people who lift weights for a living or promote tissue tolerance as the thing to train, I should be injured right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm promoting biomechanical efficiency within my own body. I'm not getting injured, not doing any of the tissue training. Uh, something's not right here, okay? So 
I do think that we need to look more biomechanically, but we can also be smarter with how we train tissues. I think ATG is doing a great job with this, by the way. So maybe there's a way to marry the two. Who knows? Yeah, well, and, and again, it's 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 a matter of of like what is the actual priority. We are gonna we are gonna talk to Keegan Smith of the ATG system. We like I said, we started a conversation with him uh, yesterday morning, but we had some technical issues on his side. Um, and we rescheduled for December 21st, I believe. We're going to be talking to him. Either way, it's scheduled, and you can go to nofilter.net to register for that. Um, this is the Art of Move podcast. We do this live on nofilter.net. So if you're listening on Spotify, you're listening on iTunes, uh, you can actually join these live, and you can hit the knock button to, to request to join and ask questions. You can also use the chat to ask us questions in real time. We're also open to debates. That's also super fun. Next Tuesday, we're going to be talking to Lucas Aaron of Range of Strength at Range of Strength on Instagram. Uh, I took his Range of Strength Flexibility Coach certification program. So technically, I'm a Range of Strength certified coach myself, and I loved his program, but I want to talk to him about how some of his principles could possibly apply to some of the ideas that we have here and, uh, you know, kind of talk about what the implications long-term on your body of training flexibility are. If there are, he, he's, he has a breadth of knowledge of flexibility research. So I'd love to know if there's any long-term studies on, on, you know, people who are super flexible or developed flexibility in the ways that he talks about. I want to define um, flexibility in terms of the way that it's currently modeled in terms of people just thinking of like being super bendy and the way that he talks about it which is actually just being strong in long ranges of motion um and just kind of discuss you know like because again when i did that work my body felt amazing but it also didn't respect the biomechanical patterns that we've been talking about a lot in these episodes so this is episode 13 can't believe that we're already 13 episodes in for those who have been listening to these podcasts so far i'd like to really genuinely thank you we're up to over, I think it's 270 listens across all platforms, not counting the live viewers and the replays on nofilter.net. That's just on Spotify and iTunes. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this, then please subscribe. Go to my nofilter account on nofilter.net and search my name, Anthony Manuel. Uh, follow Will at The Art of Move on Instagram and just check out any episode that you want. Do yourself a favor and check them out live because more often than not, we're doing visual demonstrations. We're pulling up videos to show stuff. Uh, you know, I pulled up a YouTube video and then I was doing a movement demo myself. And, and the experience is so different when you're actually here on the stream live yourself. So this is episode 13. Uh, check us out next Tuesday with Lucas Aaron for the Range of Strength special guest edition, and we'll catch you next time on the Art of Move podcast. Have a good one, guys.